Good morning. How many of you like to be prepared before you do something? I also like to be prepared before I do something. And um, just to, in, in, in a moment of honesty here, I want to tell you this morning that I don't feel prepared, and that's very hard for me. Um, I don't feel like I'm ill-prepared because I haven't studied. I don't feel like I'm ill-prepared because I haven't sought God and, and prayed and, and sought wise counsel in what I say today. The reason I feel ill-prepared is because I feel like I've been drinking from a fire hydrant for the last month, and I don't know how I'm going to concisely say what I've been learning and communicate that. Um, earlier, I was telling Josh, I said, as long as everyone's okay hanging out until about 1 or 1.30, I'll probably be able to get through it all. He said, if the Holy Spirit tells me to do that, the Holy Spirit's going to direct him to go get in his car and leave. So, so I will try to keep things as concise as I can, um, but just know. And, and also, um, the irony is not lost on me that I'm talking about this morning a subject uh, about how much we rely on God. And here I am feeling so ill-prepared. So um, spiritual blindness. I remember uh, years ago, I remember sitting in my grandparents' living room, and how many of you ever looked at, remember, it was, I don't know if it was kind of a, a fad in the 90s, but there were those books that were, they were like 3D books where it had kind of a weird design on it, and if you looked at it with the right plane of vision, you could kind of see something pop out of it. I remember sitting in my grandparents' living room, just cracking up, laughing. We were passing these books around and, and seeing everyone try to make themselves cross-eyed, and you hold the book up here, and you're just so frustrated because you know there's something there. And sometimes they're real easy to see, and sometimes it seems like they were impossible to see. Um, optical illusions are fascinating. There's a show on Netflix, I think it's called something like Brain Games, or, and it's pretty cool the way that, yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> yeah, Ethan's all, he's all over it. Um, and it's cool because they, they show the way that we can be fooled so easily into thinking that they're into seeing something that isn't really there. And so I actually, I, I put a couple of... Uh, couple of these guys up here just to see if, if, if I can kind of explain what, you know, so if you focus on, if you focus on any one of these things, it kind of looks like the rest, and I realize this is going to really translate great over the podcast. People listening to this are like, what in the world? So, but yeah, if you, if you look at one of the, one of the circles that makes it look like in your peripheral, all the others are, are moving, which of course they're not. If you're focusing on one, you can kind of see it for what it really is. But if you're not looking at one or it's kind of off to the side, it looks like it's doing something that it's not doing. Here's another one. There are no black dots on this picture. So again, if you, if you kind of look in on one of these white spots here, you can see that it's just white. But if your eyes are playing tricks on you, you'll see something that's not there. And that's those little black dots that, that show up. The thing that we're going to talk about today is the way that we focus, where we put our focus, um, up until this point, John has uh, told us uh, a few times, very obviously, I think, about, um, about the way that Jesus encountered people's spiritual blindness. And the first one that I want to think about was back in John chapter 2. This is when Jesus, and, and I'm just going to tell these stories here. You don't need to turn in your Bibles if you don't want to. But John chapter 2, he's talking to the Jews, and he says, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. Then the Jews said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you raise it up in three days? Then in John chapter 3, he's talking to Nicodemus, and he says, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And then even earlier in this chapter, in chapter 4, when Jesus is talking to the woman at the well, he says, 
if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. And then she responds, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. <laughs> right? So again and again, and, and in the passage that um, Gina's going to read in just a moment, there's another kind of obvious instance of spiritual blindness. But I think that there's a bigger theme going on here with uh, what Santino was talking about last week, about who these people actually were, who this woman was. She was a Samaritan woman. And not only was she a Samaritan woman, but she was basically an outcast of the outcasts. And so what I'd like you to do, um, and Gina, if you want to come up, uh, is as Gina's reading, just think, what are some other areas where you notice spiritual blindness in this story? And so would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Okay. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have bought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say, Four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So then the Samaritans came to him. They urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you have said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Thanks, Gina. So just like last time I preached, I'd like this morning to be pretty interactive. I think, again, that part of the beauty of Imago Day is that we exist because we believe that each person represents and has in them the image of God that God put there. And for that reason, we place a very high value on relationships. We place a very high value on everybody's involvement. And so as we talk this morning, and I'm asking questions, they're mostly not rhetorical questions, like I'm actually hoping you're going to say something. <laughs> so the first question, like I said before, where do you see spiritual blindness in that passage? Yeah, she has no idea what he's talking about. He's talking about bread of life and, and water, and he's talking, I mean, yeah, she's just on a different, she's in a different 
It's area code, right? What else? Disciples. The disciples. Yeah, the disciples are blind. What are they blind to? Yeah, it comes back and, and John says they marveled that he was speaking to a woman. It seems like that verse doesn't even really need to be there because there's this big, uh, you know, there's this whole interaction that's happening and then John feels like including, oh, by the way, when the disciples get back, they couldn't believe he was talking to this woman. So anyway, then she goes off and then the story continues and it's evangelism and it's, and it's all that. But the more... The more time I've spent with this, with this passage, the more I believe that that's the blindness. The, the, de- the blindness that's demonstrated in the fact that they were amazed that he was speaking to a woman just speaks to the fact that even though they'd been following him now for quite some time, they still never knew what he was up to. They still never saw people through the eyes that Christ saw them. They never saw the potential of people through the eyes that Christ saw them with. So what other, anything else in the passage that stood out to you? Yep. She's not the kind of person that you would expect would be able to gather the whole town and come back to Europe. Great. Yeah. Yeah. And so Jesus, like last week in the beginning of this encounter, Jesus says, yeah, I know you've had five husbands and the dude you're sleeping with now is not your husband. How many of you have ever lived in a small town? (laughs) And in small towns, everybody knows everything about everybody else, right? And so everyone was pretty well aware that's what kept this woman at the well in the middle of the day. She was avoiding people. And I'm sure they probably avoided her. There was probably gossip. There's a lot of things you could speculate about what would go on, but I think our personal experiences sometimes inform that kind of speculation and say, I know where my mind goes when I think I know something about somebody else. When I have heard a rumor or when there's something going around about me, I think I know what's, what people are saying. And so the fact that Jesus elevates women constantly, I think, is important to say. I think that this is just like, just like today. I mean, you see all over, um, I think that pushing for equality is important. I've got two daughters, and I want them to believe that they can do anything. I don't want anybody's preconceived notions about who they are or their gender or how they were, how they were raised or anything to, to ever stop them from doing anything. I think, yeah. I have to say just one more thing. Her announcement to the town is, this man told, knows everything about me. Yeah. And the whole town yeah. She's, <laughs> yeah, she, told, she goes back and she says, this man told me everything about, everything that I've done. Could this be the Christ? That was what, that, and, and I'm sure everyone there knew, yeah, we know all about you too. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but in reality, their response, it, it's amazing. I think that something that sometimes we have um, this, this opinion of what we have to offer, and we say, well, if I'm going to share my faith, or if I'm going to talk about something that God's done, or if I'm going to open myself to that, I'm going to have to be able to answer any question that somebody comes up with, or I'm going to have to know the mysteries of, of God in order to share my faith. What this woman did, she went back and she basically said, I don't know how this works, but I was blind and now I see. I was dead and now I'm alive. And when they heard that, they thought, this woman, we know everything about her. Who, who must this man be? And they went out and they saw him. And so 
as we continue, um, the disciples, John also says that even though they were marveling that he was speaking to her, they didn't say anything. They didn't say, oh, well, why are you speaking to this woman or what are you trying to, to get out of her? I think maybe, and I, you know, there's a little glimmer of hope, I think, for them in, in that maybe they're starting to realize Jesus is up to something. I don't understand what he's doing, but it seems like every time he's doing something that I don't understand, maybe I shouldn't be the first one to just speak up and say, what are you doing, Jesus? Because then I'll just be the one that looks dumb later. Yeah. So as, as we... As we continue with the disciples here, because she, she drops her water pot, she's gone. She, you know, she was there for water. Forget about that. I'll get this water later. I'm going to go. I'm excited about living water now. I'm excited to go tell people about who this man is. Along the line, um, it's also important to remember that Jesus, he went through quite um, an extent to, to get to this woman. The fact that he happened to, along her um, drawing water in the middle of the day was, was not just perchance. Like this, was, this was set up before the foundation of the earth. God is amazing. And at the beginning of John chapter 4, when it says that Jesus had to go through Samaria, well, he didn't really because a lot of the Jews didn't want to go through Samaria. They didn't even want the dust of Samaria on their feet. But Jesus had to go because there was something for him to do there. He was willing to cross these boundaries that other people were not willing to cross. And I think that I, I can't go into a passage like this without examining how I do that in my own life. I think that um, I've got to ask myself, am I somebody who builds walls between myself and others, or am I someone who tears down walls between myself and others? Sometimes, and I think speaking very frankly, that it's, it's my pride that gets in the way of doing that. I don't think that, um, I don't think that I'm always willing to extend a hand when I should. I don't think that I'm always willing to acknowledge somebody else's um, skills or opinion or what they have to offer because I have an overinflated opinion of my own. And so do you do that? Do you put up walls between your opinions and others or do you tear them down? Maybe, you know, it, it may be your neighbor, it may be your coworker, it may be on social media, it may be in, uh, it may be in school, it may be wherever it is. Sometimes, um, Sometimes we're right, but the way that we communicate it is so wrong that, that we're wrong. You know what I mean? Um, it's really easy for people to just not want to listen when there, there it is. I'm just not going to put my hand in my pocket anymore. Um, that's how I look relaxed. Even if I'm not, I'll just put my hand in my pocket. So... But, but what do we do? Um, the way that we communicate, is it loving? Jesus certainly is the example to us in this as well. The fact that he's even talking to her is amazing. But then for him to be so gentle, he didn't condemn her. He met her where she was at, and he changed her life. Amen. That's so cool. He meets all of us where we are, and he changes our lives. So just like we can have these opinions of other people... We can underestimate other people. We can also kind of underestimate ourselves. Last time I was here, I was talking about that very idea, is the idea that sometimes we believe that we don't have anything to offer. And sometimes we believe that, that because we're not maybe as eloquent as somebody else or as, as um, learned as somebody else, that we should just sit back and let somebody else do it because if they do it, it's going to be better. 
And so if I don't do it, somebody else will. It's just going to get done anyway, right? And sometimes we hide. This woman was hiding by being at the well in the middle of the day. Kind of an ironic way to hide in the middle of the day, but that's where nobody was going to be, and so that's where she was. So how do we hide? What are some ways, what are some things that you do to hide? And maybe, maybe you hide in plain sight, but what are some ways that you do to hide from others who you really think you are? Avoidance, Isolation. just avoidance. Yeah, absolutely. Isolation. What else? Isolation. Yeah. Uh, self, de- uh, being in denial. Denial. Being okay. Dishonest yeah. with yourself mm-hmm. and others about yep. yourself. Just plain dishonesty. Yeah. yeah. We marry. Yeah, we, we're superficial. We put up. We put on masks. Last. What's that? We make ourselves too busy. That's. I made a list of one of them. And that's right on there. We hide in our busyness. What else do we do? Watch TV. <laughs> Watch TV. Just make ourselves unproductive. Just kind of... Okay, surround yourselves with people who will take the attention off of you. Absolutely. Turn down help from others. Yeah. If somebody says something and they strike a nerve, like, oh, man, they're on to me. Let me just... I'm just going to ignore that. I'm going to pretend I didn't hear that. I'm not going to take their advice. <laughs> a few, a few th- what's that? Spin doctor. Spin doctor. Yeah, everything has got a good spin. If you put the right spin on it, you can make terrible things sound fine, right? It's true. Yeah. The, um, I, I made a, a quick little list here, and some of them we've already said, but um, some of us hide behind our personalities. Some of us pretend to be somebody that we're not. Some of us hide behind our schedule. We make ourselves busy. We just move so quickly from one place to another, nobody can actually get to know us. We'd rather be noticed than be known. Um, You hide behind your activities. You hide behind your vices. What's cool is that Jesus doesn't talk to us the way we talk to ourselves. He doesn't see us the way that we see ourselves. Jesus loves us as we are, and not just each one of us. He loves everyone. Think about how... This woman identified herself. Think about how you identify yourself. You say, I'm immoral. And Jesus says, I love immoral people. Because I can change their lives. You say, I'm an addict. Jesus says, I love addicts. They've got a great testimony sometimes. You say, I'm secure. He says, I love insecure people. Sometimes insecure people are the most humble. You say, I'm an outcast. And he says, I love outcasts. Because in me, you'll find belonging. You say, I'm a failure. And Jesus says, I love people who fail. That's how we learn. The wisest people in the world are the people who failed the most. Jesus, the point is that Jesus can redeem anything. And not just in a worldly sense. Not like he can make you smart when you fail. But he he can take those experiences. And not only can he give you worldly wisdom and knowledge. But he reveals heavenly things to us. He reveals heavenly things, he reveals truth, and he saves. He saves through those experiences, and it's beautiful to see. There's a passage in um, 2 Corinthians, and this is actually out of the message interpretation of the Bible, and so it's a little bit different, but I really like the way that it phrases things here. And Paul says this, he says, Dear, dear Corinthians, I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter this wide-open, spacious life. We didn't fence you in. 
the smallness you feel comes from within you. Your lives aren't small, but you're living them in a small way. I'm speaking as plainly as I can and with great affection. Open up your lives, live openly and expansively. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting take on it, but I think it's beautiful the way that it says that. As we, as we go into the verses here, and I realize now that I've forgotten to progress the slides, my bad. <laughs> so, um, so here is um, John chapter 4. Oops, it's going to scroll up, isn't it? There it is. So let me just fast forward through here because we've already touched on a few of these things. Here's the where the woman leaves her water pot, takes off, goes, tell, goes and tells the men about, uh, about who he is. The men all come back out eventually. John 4, 31 through 34. In the meantime, here we go. In the meantime, his disciples urged him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. That's interesting that Jesus says that he is nourished by doing God's will to do more of God's will. That it's almost like this cyclical thing, like the more of God's will that he does, the more strength he receives to do more of God's will. I think it's the same way for a lot of us, if we're honest. Sometimes if we take that first step and we see, oh, look, God was faithful. Yeah. And we take another step. Look, God's still faithful. And then we, maybe we take a few steps backwards in the process. We screw up, but then we say, you know what? God was faithful those first two times. Maybe he'll still be faithful. Maybe his character is being faithful. And maybe over time we start to believe that when we seek to do God's will, he'll strengthen us to continue. God has a mission for each one of us. The fact that you're still on the earth today is a testimony that the fact that God still has something for you to do in your life. Amen. You know? Do you believe that? Amen. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's true. Your potential, I used to say this to kids all the time when I was a youth pastor years ago. I used to tell kids all the time, your potential is not what you think you can do. Your potential is what God put you on this earth to do. Amen. It's far beyond anything you can imagine. It's so easy to get... It's so easy to get trapped in, in, in thinking in a small way. It's so easy to get focused on things like those optical illusions earlier. It's so easy to look at one thing and get so focused on it that you just find yourself being deceived in every other area. Your peripheral is just full of things that are, that are not really there. We're not seeing things the way that they truly are. God's the one that opens people's eyes. And, and that's where, that, and I think that that's where the next, this next passage uh, leads us. When he says um, that, when he says that the, the men come back, in just a moment we're going to read that the men come back, but this is, I think this verse kind of foreshadows what's about to happen. The men come back and they basically say, um, you know, they invite Jesus back to Samaria and to Sychar, where they're from. He spends a couple days with them, and eventually they say, well, now we believe, not just because of what the woman said, but we believe because we've seen you and the works that you do, and we've gotten to know you. We've, gotten to, we've encountered your character. We've encountered your power, and we believe in you. A lot of times, we believe that we have to convince people. We think we have to be, you know, we have to have some kind of an emotional um, you know, appeal to people for them to, for them to come to Christ. That's just not true. And right here... Jesus says, do not say there are still four months 
And then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they're already white for harvest. Our timelines have constraints on them that God's timelines don't have. Things that seem like they should take a long time can happen in an instant. Things that seem like there should be a process to it, God says, I'm outside of time. If I want that to happen now, it happens now. An area where God has been um, challenging me in a a lot of ways is in this kind of supernatural, miraculous area. And the fact that all around us we see God at work. And um, a lot of us see things, we see the same things, but we see it through a different lens. When I was in, um, here's another great story about me in the 90s. When I was in a band in the 90s, um, it was cool back then to uh, wear clothes that were a little flamboyant, shall I say. And one of, the, one of the little articles that I had were these little red glasses. They were little rectangles, and I tried so hard to find them to bring them today because I just know you'd love to see me wear them. But, <laughs> but the thing was, I would stand on stage, and I'd play the piano, and I'd, you know, and, and I'd have these little red glasses on. It just looked so cool. And then... Um, what happened a couple of times was the groups that I was playing with, we'd get together and we would make marks all over the music and say, okay, here's where we're going to repeat this, we're going to change this chord, we're going to do this and that. And we really wanted everyone to, to see the notes that we made, so we always wrote on them with a red pen. So, do you see the problem? Yes. You're starting to? If not, let me explain. If you are looking through a red lens at a page with red writing on it, you can't see the red writing. And so more than once, I'd be up just jamming out, I'd be rocking out, and I'd get to one of those places that we had made a change and where there was a clear red mark on the page, and it was just invisible to me. And so I would just lay into the next chord, or I would, you know, and it, was, it became very obvious that I needed to uh, not wear my red glasses anymore. But um, how is it, how is it that a room, in a room full of people, or in the world for that matter, People can look at the same thing and see so many different things. I think it obviously has to do a lot with the, the worldview. What are the lenses that we're looking at life through? And, and God is so good. He changes our vision sometimes, but there's still so many things that we're blind to. And so we need that input from, from different people to kind of get a new perspective. Sometimes we, we don't see things clearly. Sometimes there's red marks all over the page, but because I've got these red glasses on, I just don't see them. And I was at a conference years ago, and there was a, there was a phrase that was, it was actually just kind of spoken really quickly at the very end of the conference. All the speakers were out on stage, and they had a Q&A session. And one of the speakers said, we all see objective objects subjectively. And then he just kept on talking. I don't think, like, for me, I stopped listening at that point. I was like, whoa, that's weird. I mean, my brain was like, yeah, I can't. What's, what did he just say? We all see objective objects subjectively. There is something there, right? I mean, there is something there. But then everyone looking at it from a different perspective, through a different lens. Sometimes there's a lot of deception in those lenses. Sometimes there's a lot of clarity in those lenses. The fact that we have a body of believers, the fact that we're surrounded by people who we can turn to to help us 
see those things more clearly, is a gift from God. And it's a gift that we should take well advantage of. There's a verse that I, I pulled up here before I came out. This is out of Proverbs 11. And uh, it says this, where there's no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there's safety. It's, it's one of my favorite verses. It's one of my friends, pretty much his life verse. Because he's not a man who's humble, much like me, much like a lot of people. We're not humble, and so we just need this reminder all the time that other people have things to offer that you need. Other people's perspective, other people's life experience, other people's knowledge base, what God through the Holy Spirit has shown other people, all of these things are things that you need to get a, an accurate picture of what's right in front of you. And so we are all looking at objective objects subjectively. I really like that. Um, and it's interesting now what happens here. Jesus is talking about the fact that the fields are white for harvest. He's talking about, he sees the end game. He sees what's about to happen. The disciples don't see what's about to happen. They, who knows, they may still be hung up on the fact that they're in Samaria. Like, I don't know where their mind is at this point, but Jesus' mind is on, the, his mind is on the redemptive work that's about to happen. That's where his mind always is. Yeah. We could stand to have our perspective changed and to keep that in mind, that, that, that our work would be on the finished product. The problem is we can't see into the future. So it's hard. Sometimes we just have to trust. Sometimes we don't understand, God, why are you telling me to do this? And so it makes us disobedient. Um, this isn't in my notes, but I was just thinking earlier this week, there was somebody that God put on my heart to, to pray for. And he also kind of put on my heart that I should reach out to her and tell her that I was praying for her. But I didn't do it. I prayed for her, but I didn't do it because I thought, it's going to be weird. It's going to be weird for her to get a phone call from me. I haven't talked to this girl for four years. We used to work together, but for whatever reason, God said, pray for her and, and tell her that you're praying for her, and I didn't. And it's, you know, it's been, it's been bugging me, so maybe I need to give her a call. <laughs> uh, not right now. I'll wait until I'm done preaching. But <laughs> sometimes you just don't understand like, what, what's the fruit of that conversation going to be? What's, what's God about to do? What's God about to do here? Something amazing. So, so now. Things hold us back that we shouldn't let hold us back. I don't want to harp on it more than is, is needed, but I think I keep saying it because I need to hear it as much as any one of us does. And there's things that we need to do to set up into our lives to assure that when there's a challenge, we don't always shy back. And there's some action steps that I think we can take to that end. A lot of it has to do with prayer. A lot of it has to do with being in touch with what God is doing. A lot of it has to do with being in touch with the Holy Spirit and believing that when we ask him for wisdom, that he gives wisdom. That when, he, when, when you say, God, what's your will in this situation? And then he reveals it to you, that then you actually do it. There's a big difference between praying and asking for wisdom and believing that you've received it. Because the way that you act is very different. If you believe you know the very right thing to do in a situation, if you're like me, you'll just push through and nothing's going to stop you and you'll just go for it. But if you start to question, like, maybe, maybe, maybe I didn't hear from God right. Or maybe this doesn't make any sense to me, so I'm not going to do it. 
there's a lot of things that hold us back. And so believing that God has answered your prayers is very important. And God is faithful to answer our prayers. And God is faithful to answer prayers that sometimes we don't even pray. We don't even know what we need. And God says, here's what you need. And it comes on a silver platter, and that's awesome too. But, but you know, a lot of times that's not how it works. When Satan tempts us and when Satan is deceiving us, he doesn't come right out and say, hey, I'm the devil and I want you to obey me, <laughs> right? If he did that, he wouldn't be very good at it, right? Because who's going to be like, oh, sweet. All right, Satan, let's, let's do what you want to do. Um, it's like in the garden. You know, when, when, when Adam and Eve were in the garden and the serpent came out and said, is it true that, that God said you can't eat of any of the, the fruits in the garden? They said, no, no, that's not what he said. What he said was we just can't eat of this one fruit. And he said, oh, well, you know why, right? It's because he's trying to keep something good from you. He says, if he knows that if you eat this fruit, you're going to be like him. And that's, I think, where they stopped listening. But what he said was, you'll be like him knowing good from evil. They didn't know good from evil at that point. That'd be kind of cool. There was just no evil, so there's no, I don't know, good from evil. But what Satan said was, you'll be like him, knowing good from evil. God wants to hold something back from you that's good. He doesn't come out and say, I want you to be plunged into sin. He says, God's holding back something good for you, so take a bite. It's, it's sneaky, right? Satan's sneaky. Um, yeah. There's a couple of quotes that... Um, as I looked at, so what do, we, what do we do? What do we do with all this information? What do we do with the idea that we're blind and we need to be, we need to see, we need our eyes opened, that the world around us is blind and we need God to, to open their eyes? Again, I'll say it, pray. Pray that God would open our eyes. For the people who you would love to see God work in their lives, pray that God opens their eyes. Sometimes we just are so focused on thinking, oh, I need to say the right thing, or I need to do the right thing, or I need to convince them, or whatever. That's not true. Mm -hmm. God says, you know, if, if, if he wants them saved, they're saved. Yep. Their eyes are opened. And all we need to do is just run to them and say, I was blind and now I see, I can't explain it. I want you to encounter God, and when you do, he's irresistible, and that's it. Amen. It's so cool. There's something else here. This is from a... Uh, from a guy, um, and I want to I preface this real quick, because sometimes when we consider the source of where truth comes from, sometimes we're tempted to discount it, um, whether that be from kids. Sometimes kids say things, they say the darndest things, right? Sometimes they say things and it's like, oh, it's obvious to my, to my <laughs> six-year-old, but I've learned not to believe simple things like that. And, and so this is a quote from a guy. Um, he's actually one of the Council of Twelve in the Mormon Church. And I believe that all truth is God's truth. Santino talked about it a few months back, about all the, this wisdom of the world and how sometimes because you hear that it comes from a, you know, a, a different faith system or a different uh, messenger that we tend not to really um, give it the weight that we should because, again, all truth is God's truth. So whoever says it, it's true. And this is what David Bednar says. Obedience opens the door to the constant companionship of the Holy Ghost. The spiritual gifts and abilities activated by the power of the Holy Ghost enable us to avoid deception and to see, to feel, to know, to understand, and to remember things as they really are. I'm going to read that again. Obedience, that's the key here, 
by the way. It's hard to hear. It's hard for me to hear. Maybe it's not hard for you. Maybe you're better than I am. Obedience opens the door to the constant companionship of the Holy Ghost. And the spiritual gifts and abilities activated by the power of the Holy Ghost enables us to avoid deception. And to see, to feel, to know, and to understand, and to remember things as they really are. When we're walking in step with God, as we conform our will to his will, as we're faithful to obey, as we're faithful not to deviate from his plan, it opens up this community with the Holy Ghost. And you know how you feel when you fall into temptation, when you do that thing that you have been struggling with and how far from God you feel. At those moments, you're not listening to the Holy Ghost. You're not listening to God. You're not seeing things the way that they really are because a lot of those temptations are leading you down a road where you say, well, I want pleasure or I want fulfillment and even though God says I'll find it over here, I believe that I'm going to find it over here. And we do that because we're blind. And we're not quick learners either. Because again and again and again, we're held captive by the things that we turn to for freedom. Bad apples. Yeah. And so God is saying, I'm, I'm right here. I've given you my word. I've given you the church around you. I've given you the companionship of the Holy Spirit. All of these things are shouting about who I am. And, and yet we still ignore it sometimes. Sometimes we just don't see it. Sometimes it's because we're blind to it. And sometimes we need that encouragement from, from somebody else. That leads me to the second thing that I think is very important, is if you don't have that accountability built into your life, um, or if you know somebody who doesn't, do the loving thing and be it. Be that accountability to somebody else. Don't just sit back and think, well, if I don't say something, oh, someone else who cares about that guy, I'll tell him. Because he's being an idiot, but someone's going to tell him, right? Because everyone sees it. Well, no, if, if, you don't have, if you don't have accountability built into your life, get it in there. We had a, a, a breakfast with a bunch of the men at the church um, not too long uh, ago. And one of the big things that Mike here kept harping on again and again and again and again is that we're weak and we need each other and we need to be, sometimes we need to be kind of hard on each other and say because certain things are destructive because we believe that they're destructive, we don't want to see them take out other men. We don't want them to t see them take out any other women either, but it was just men in the room. <laughs> and so if you don't have accountability built into your life, put it in there. If you know somebody who's out there on their own, lovingly bring them back into the fold. Lovingly wrap your arms around them. Don't do it in a rough way. Unless they need to hear something very direct from you, then don't be afraid, don't shy back. But reach out, let people know that you're telling them what you're telling them because you love them. It's really easy to hide in avoidance, like we said earlier. And so if you see somebody that's being an avoider, if you see somebody that's just trying to, to kind of blend in and, and not rock the boat and just do their own thing, it may be that something's going on in their life. They may be, may be trying to avoid you, they may be trying to run from truth. You can only run for so long and it gets very destructive. So, building accountability in your own life, well, what does that look like? Well, being here is a good start. It, seriously, it is. It's great. Here, the, the fact that, that, that we're all here to hear from God, that's, great. that's a good thing. I don't want to diminish that at all. But if this is the, if, if this is the end of your 
walk with God on a, on a weekly basis, then it's not that great. I mean, it's, it's great that you're here, but if this is it, there's so much more. Amen. There's so much more. The rest of the week is a, is a battlefield. And so just to come here on, for an hour on Sunday morning, is, it's a good, it's a good thing, but that's just, it's just not enough. And this isn't a workspace thing. I'm not saying that God will love you more if you get into a community group or God will love you more if you do this or that. God loves you so much, and, and he doesn't want to see you fall. He wants to catch you. He wants to wrap his arms around you in a way that he does that for, you know, for my wife and I is through our community group. For a lot of you who are involved in those groups here, it's a great thing. So we have lots of groups. Come and ask one of us about them afterward. We'll get you plugged in. I'd love to have you come join ours. Um, but whatever, whatever it's going to take, find some Christians that you can spend some time with during the week. Um, accountability is huge. And when you feel discouraged, sometimes the best thing for that is not just, uh, not just to isolate ourselves, because we'll just wallow even deeper into it. What else is holding us back, though? And that's the, kind of the last thing. There's, there's some habits that we have. There's some, there's some things that we always maybe rely on. For some people, that's, it could be substance. For some people, it could be unhealthy relationships. For some people, it could even be seemingly good things that we just tie ourselves up to. Um, put that to some prayer and think about what is it that you do and what is it that I do that keep me from this truth? What is it that I do that are, that's keeping me in darkness? What's keeping me blind? What's um, keeping my vision uh, obscured in certain areas? And, and I don't know what it is for you. If, if you're not sure and, and, and you'd like some prayer for that, please find one of the, you know, Santino, the elders, find any one of us up here, and uh, we'd love to pray for you. If you need some encouragement, sometimes all it is is just somebody taking an outside look into your life, and you say, well, I don't know what it is, and it's like, ding, 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 like everyone else sees it, it's right here, you just never ask. And maybe it's not that obvious, and it is something that will take longer to work through. But again, taking that first step is very important. And we should take that first step. We should encourage others to take that first step because we love each other. Because God loves us. Pray for wisdom. When I was younger, I used to take walks in the middle of the night. And it was weird. And I would walk through, and I was staying with a friend of mine in Sacramento. I was kind of between jobs. And I was, I would, I would, I was staying at his house. I was kind of doing some work down in the Folsom area. But I would... I would leave his house at like one in the morning and I would just go out and I would walk and I would talk out loud to God, which is weird also. I know that. And I'm sure I looked really weird because the people that you run into at one in the morning out on the yeah. streets, they're also weird. So yeah. you just blend right in. Yeah, yeah. But it's, so I, I would go out and I would, I would walk and one of the things that just kept coming up again and again and again and again was pray for wisdom. Ask me for wisdom. Ask me for wisdom. The, you know, and, and, and what's interesting, like I, like I mentioned much earlier, is that as you pray for wisdom, believe that God answers that prayer. And that as you, in your newfound wisdom, feel convicted to do things or to stop certain things, believe that that's God speaking to you. He speaks in sometimes very clear ways, if you're listening. But sometimes, for me, it was the middle of the night. That's the only time I really could be away from other thoughts and other distractions. I'm not telling you all to take 
walks in the middle of the night. But, you know, if you, if you want to, it's very nice sometimes. Um, but pray for wisdom. And don't be afraid to offer it to others. You don't... Um, it's like that adage says that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Like, even if you think, oh, you know what, I'm, in, I'm intruding. They're not going to want to hear this from me. But you feel like they need some wisdom from you. It's a very loving thing to do to share that. What's the worst thing that they can do? Tell you to get out of their life and just go jump off a cliff? I guess that's probably about the worst thing, huh? <laughs> Sorry. Um, but God is so gentle and so we should be too. God is so loving to this woman at the well. He's so, so loving to these men from Samaria. He's so loving to his disciples who miss it again and again and again. He's so loving to us as we read these words thousands of years later and they're still alive and active and he still shows us truth through them. That's a loving thing for God to do. He doesn't have to do any of it, but because of his love, he does it. He's in the business of drawing people toward him. And I want to close with, I've got a, a, a video here, and I don't know if I went through the right number of slides. Or, oh, yeah, there's, there's so much more. Like I told you, we could be here till one. I'm sure I could get through it all. But I think, by and large, I got a chance to say what I feel like God's put in my heart to say. And so I want to close with this video. And um, just watch it. It's pretty cool. This is the truth. If we just turn things upside down, we can't know God and feel his presence. I would be lying to you if I said that the Almighty wants to be your father, that God has a plan for your life, that he wants to know you, that you are wanted, that you can be loved. But you must know, you don't deserve any of this. And I'm convinced of this because I know the heart of man. We are forever separated from God. I refuse to believe under any circumstance that we could be loved by God right now. Because of our dependency on Christ, we have lost the connection to God. But there is so much more you don't know. This is the truth. God is holy, and we are not. You should know that exactly the opposite is true. God is holy, and we are not. This is the truth, that there is so much more that you don't know. We have lost the connection to God, but because of our dependency on Christ, we could be loved by God right now. I refuse to believe under any circumstance that we are forever separated from God. And I am convinced of this because I know the heart of man. You don't deserve any of this. But you must know that you can be loved, that you are wanted, and he wants to know you, that God has a plan for your life. The Almighty wants to be your father. I would be lying to you if I said that you cannot know God and feel his presence. If we just turn things upside down, this is the truth. Sometimes a lot of, a lot of what we see just has to do with our perspective. So... Seek ways that you can widen your perspective this week. Seek ways that you can pursue accountability this week. Ask God for wisdom. Ask God what areas of your life he wants to work in. And ultimately, just be grateful that when we ask God's faithful to answer, thank him for his love. Thank you for the people that he put around us. So let me pray for us. We're going to sing one last song together. 
So, Father, thank you again for your love. Thank you for how you gently correct us. Thank you for how you reveal mystery to us. Thank you for the way that you use each one of us, for the, the Holy Spirit that you've put into us, that you sent as our helper, as our guide. I pray that, um, that God, for, for anyone here who may be struggling, for anyone here who may have something that's, that's on their heart now, God, I believe that you put that on their heart. And I pray that uh, they would be bold enough to, to ask for help if they need it. So God, thank you again for how you open our eyes. Thank you again for changing our perspective, God, so that we can see things as they really are. We ask it now for your sake. Amen.